talking to Oliver McKillick today. Um, he's a event planner, producer in Prague. He works for the Czech Philharmonic Orchestra, broadcasting their stuff, and uh, he's done a lot of festivals um, and uh, concerts, big big bands, icky icky pop, and, and I don't know. He has a lot of cool names that 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 he's worked with: um, Primal Scream, Kraftwerk, Sting, um, Liam Gallagher. Just to name a few, um, we talked about actually, yeah. So, well, he's a son of a, a, an actress who 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 escaped communist Czech Republic twice, uh, first to France and then to Australia, where he was then later born. And he told me a little bit about that, or his background and life, and and so on. How it was the difference between uh, Australia and the Czech Republic, Australia, which he thinks is turning into a police state, which I tend to agree with. Uh, my experience of being there at least indicated that. And uh, uh, we talked politics because Oliver is involved in, in the Freedom Festival, which celebrates the anniversary or yeah, the, the milestone of, of, of the day when communism ended with the Velvet Revolution in the Czech Republic. So every year they host a, a celebration to, to remember that event. Uh, the importance of, of, of that, that people remember how bad socialism and communism was uh, in reality, um, how politics are in the Czech Republic and uh, how young people are inactive or yeah, disconnected from current politics somehow and what causes that. And then, yeah, Oliver is gay, so we talked a lot about gay rights, um, how his coming out experience was, um, what he thinks about uh, the gay movement in general and... Um, and what people like me, who are uh, white, middle-aged, heterosexual men, the worst thing produced on earth in the current century, can do, or how we should be, and what is fair and what is unfair. We, he talked a lot about hyper-correctness, which is an interesting topic, of course, with political correctness. So, yeah, the, the, we were a little bit all over the place. It was a really pleasant talk. Always a great guy, and uh, I hope you will enjoy um, the sponsors, that's uh, the Old Bar Prague, that's in Seifertova 21 in Shishkov. Also available on home delivery on Vault and Bolt. Um, it's perfect for breakfast, lunch or snack. Coffees are great, amazing juices. Um, yeah, great homemade food, like with no nasty ingredients. And uh, yeah, you can eat something tasty without feeling guilty, which is always a bonus. Um, then there is Alfred Jobs, Alfred.cz, Alfred Jobs in the app stores available in Russian, English, Slovak and Czech. And thousands of jobs all over Czech Republic and Slovakia available in one interface where you basically can apply with one click. And you don't need to browse through millions of jobs that are not relevant to you. So you see just what you actually came for. Check that out, guys, and uh, please follow the show wherever you're listening uh, so you don't miss an episode. Follow my pages, my Facebook page and my uh, Instagram page that the, the, the Bunker, how the hell did we end up here on, on Facebook and um, the Bunker Prague on Instagram. And uh, I would be very happy also if you had the time to give me a five-star review in the Apple uh, podcast service because that really, really helps getting the show exposure. And yeah, hello to all the new listeners and enjoy. Thank you. Welcome to my bunker, Oliver Makilik. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. So, 
you're half Czech, half Australian, and you have an Irish name. Yeah, uh, well, most of the Australians are Irish because it was a criminal colony. Mm. Um, so so um, I do come from an Irish heritage, partially, because my father's Australian, and my mother's Czech. Uh-huh. And uh, can Czech people say Makilik? Uh, it's challenging sometimes, but yeah, they can. Yeah. Um, you're here because we have a mutual friend, um, actually, who has been very good at finding me people to, to come on, on, on my podcast. And uh, I wanted to talk to you about a few things today, a little bit about yourself and your background. Um, we want to talk politics, um, the Velvet Festival, which is celebrating the, the fall of communism. It's coming up now soon. And uh, we want to talk about gay rights gay movements and and how how that is uh but uh i don't know i mean where to start actually <laughs> where to start you're That's born in australia right yes i was born in i was born in sydney mm. uh, to my mother as an actress and my father was a theater critic and an art critic at the time then he moved on to uh, writing and editing uh, magazines and stuff like that around architecture mm. um I lived in Australia until I was about six. Uh-huh. I was traveling back and forth as a as a baby as well, but eventually around the age of six or seven, we, me and my mother moved back to Prague. Um, and my father stayed in Australia. They were separated already by then. So uh, I started a new life in in the beautiful city of Prague. And, and how, but, but so your mom... Your mom had left the Czech Republic during communism, right? As a, as a she escaped or, or yes, yes, she emigrated. She was an actress, and uh-huh. uh, she was an actress at a, a well-known uh, theater company in Brno called Husana Provasku, and uh, they were playing a, a mime show. They had a mime theater show, uh, and uh, one of the tours they did was to Paris uh-huh. because it was a mime show. They could travel with this show, and um, when she was in Paris, she before she left to Paris, she knew she's not coming back. Mm-hmm. She, of course, as an actress and as a bohemian soul, uh, the communist times were, were very challenging, and she she needed to get out, you know. So she stayed in Paris. Uh, she found a flat by the by the um, cemetery in Paris. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she lived next to a cemetery, and uh, she ended up meeting her first husband and giving birth to my sister, who's ten years older ten years older than me, uh, in Paris. Eventually, they would uh, move back to Prague. Um, her husband then and her child got evicted from the Republic and she had to stay here. But she eventually, with a great amount of luck, managed to um, get approval to leave the country again. So wait, she leaves during communism, comes back during communism. Yes. And leaves again. And leaves again, that's right. Yeah, she, well, um, it, it was it, it was tricky for her because, of course, she, when she was in Paris, she suspected that probably the, the communist regime and the communist secret police were looking at her because there was some suspicious activity all the time around her. But then also she had her parents here. She had stuff here. She mm. had a flat here. So she had to come back. Um, but obviously, uh, as soon as she got here, the, the husband and the child got evicted and uh, they met up again in, I think, Vienna it was. But she was lucky to get a... Because they needed approval to leave the country. You yeah, yeah leave, it was right? not like, yeah, you couldn't um, just walk out. Yeah, I don't remember the details now, but she was very lucky uh-huh. to get some sort of paper to let her leave. And of course, that's when she knew that for a long, long time she won't be coming back again. Uh-huh. And uh, her husband at the time, who was Slovakian, he had a lot of friends in Australia. 
Australia seemed like a seemed like a nice place as far as possible from the from the devil horns of the communist regime, and so they went there and uh, ended up living there for fifteen years, uh-huh. meeting my father and giving birth to me in nineteen ninety. Okay, and and uh, and you're there, you say until until you're six, and how was that? Did you learn to speak Czech in the ho- home then, or or? I spoke mostly English uh-huh. over there, um, but uh, I was a quick learner. I mean, my mom did talk Czech to me sometimes, but the main portion of learning Czech came when I was here. Yeah. When I moved here and when I was around six years old, as a child, you learn quickly. Mm. And, uh, you know, growing up bilingual in a bilingual household, of course, it predispositions you with, uh, I guess, a certain mm. taste for languages. Yeah, yeah. Were you... So you uh, you come here at six seven back back to to Prague and uh, um, but you're going back and forth right you, I mean you went to school both here and and then you went to school in Australia later yes, or, yeah, or? Yeah, yeah. I did um, I did my fourth grade and my seventh grade of elementary school in Australia mm. which is kind of I think it was this kind of uh, need to my need of my parents to keep me in contact with the homeland and the language which in retrospective um, I'm very grateful for. However, it was slightly traumatizing to keep changing classrooms. Mm-hmm. I was, when I was a kid, I wasn't very good with, with new groups. Which, uh, fortunately, that changed with age. But back then, it was difficult. Mm. Um, so I did. I was kind of happy to end up here. After, after my seventh grade, I would continue to do my high school and my university here in uh, Prague and partially in Brno as well, where I did part of my mm-hmm. university. But it must have been tricky, as you say, to go back and forth and, you know, making new friends. I mean... Um, what about the, like culturally? I mean, not just fitting into a group, but the, the, at that time. So you, you're. This is what ninety the eight, late nineties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. Then we are kind of fresh out of communism here. This must have been very, very different societies, I guess. Yeah, it was. Um, when I look back at it, of course, it was always challenging going there and then coming back. I think as a as a kid. Of course, I idealized Australia because I was only there mostly. Um, I used to go back for vacations a lot, you know, like summer vacations. I'd go to Australia for two months and come back to continue school here. So, you know, in Australia, I had the good times and yeah, here yeah, I had yeah, to go yeah. to school. Yeah. And uh, and also, as you said, there was differences in, in society, differences in, in mentality and Australia. But Australia changed as well as, as, as Czech Republic changed. You know, you could see... It, there was huge differences, which became less of differences, of course, because mm-hmm. you know Czech Republic is one of the was and is one of the fastest growing economics in the Eastern Bloc of Europe, in the mm-hmm. post-communist bloc. So they're doing very well. And on the opposite, Australia is one of the most prosperous countries in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a big divide, which became a bit. I think in my optics, I could see the differences getting smaller, but of course, it's still two very different mentalities, and that will never change. Mm. Um, and they each have their specifics, of course. You know, mm. you you have uh, you have family there, right? I mean, you still yes. have family in in Australia. Yes, uh, my father lives there with his wife, and I have another uh, step family uh, in Perth, which is Western Australia. Mm. So there's quite a quite a quite a large family there. Actually, probably the family there is probably larger than the family here. Actually, <laughs> uh huh. And and. Uh, when I was, I, I, I'm cu- curious because, you know, like, um, often those countries like, you know, Australia, the US, um, the UK, these are often believed to be kind of the, the freedom, f- you know, the, let's say on the forefront of freedom, let's say. And then 
this is what we're being told. You know, this is kind of the global narrative. I mean, America fights uh, socialism and communism and, and dictators and whatever and does all the dirty job to make the world better. And then the surprising thing for me was, you know, now I've lived in Iceland, Copenhagen and, and then here in, in Prague is that I don't think that I experienced real freedom until I actually moved here. And then I visited Australia and I was there, of course, I was only there for a month, but I saw it, I mean, yeah, as a guest, you often see the things that, that are interesting. And what I found there was, it was an extremely high amount of kind of public instruction somehow. Yeah, there was road signs with everything. Um, they tell you the speed every one kilometer, the speed limit, you know, like there was... You couldn't smoke less than three meters close to a public building, and the, 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 you know, not on the sidewalk, and you couldn't do this. It's, it's, it was really, really for me. It was a, a surprise. Mm. Is this something like now that you have kind of been in both of those countries? Is this something that you noticed? Yeah, I think. Well, uh, the narrative you spoke about about these countries being the, the mm. definition of freedom and all that stuff. I, I think. It's 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 tending more and more to be false sometimes, mm. or at least partially false, because and this dates this dates back all the way to communism and and what communism has left us with, mm. and all the Eastern countries has been left with, because countries that didn't have communism didn't have totalitarian regimes, they tend to approach the subject of freedom and personal freedom, especially very differently. Um, so. Countries like the USA and Australia, I feel like, are becoming increasingly less free, I could say, than, for example, Czech Republic or Slovakia or whatever. Mm. It's a different story in Poland, maybe, because they're very conservative. But, you know, if I can compare Czech Republic, which is a very liberal country, with Australia, I can see that the, the liberal society we, th we have is actually a result of the communist regime aftermath. Because mm. we've known for so long what it looks like to be truly oppressed and unfree, that we are now very protective of our own freedoms and very protective of the liberty we have mm. in Czech Republic. Mm. While places like the USA uh, don't, don't have that history. And, and it's becoming critical right now, I think, because people, they don't have the history of oppression, so it makes them probably not value their freedom as much, which, which invites much more restrictions, invites much more control from, from government, invites you know, all this kind of stuff. And, mm. Australia, I've talked with a lot of people who have this feeling that Australia is increasingly becoming more of a police state. Mm. A lot of regulations, a lot of rules. I think currently they approved some sort of law that they can now take your phone and install apps on it and they can look through it, you know. So, And this is, this is a, it, it creeps up slowly, one by one, these yeah. things, you know. And that probably wouldn't be possible here, for example, because every single step towards oppressing you or taking away some certain freedoms is met with quite some backlash mm. because we remember what happened back then. And, you know, remembering your history is also part of your future. Mm. I, 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 I also, I was also thinking about this in the context of trust towards politicians. And I, I, I mean, of course, this is all interconnected, but I feel like here in the in the Czech Republic there is a very deeply rooted distrust or mistrust towards politicians that they are you know they they steal and they they're only thinking about their own interest and so on, whereas I think in 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 a lot of other countries like in you know in Iceland and and in, in Denmark and you know maybe to some extent in Australia and the UK and so on that we we've always had this feeling that those people are they would never do anything bad 
mm. and maybe they don't are not per on purpose doing anything bad they, but as you said they maybe take tiny little steps somewhere and they end up we end up somewhere where we actually don't want to be and so i i think as you're saying the backlash here is much much higher than mm. than you would see there you know it is it is it mm. is yeah it's true um I yeah I think I will actually change this a little bit. I will, we will talk we'll talk about the gay rights and that stuff a little bit later. I want to mm. continue a little bit on 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 politics here because it's very connected to this. I mean one of you, so tell me a little bit what you do because I wanted to talk about it in the beginning I forgot it. So you're like a event guy, music all these yes. kind of things, right? Um I guess I could call myself a event producer. I produce events, music festivals, I, I work with artists, with bands on, you know, producing their shows in Prague and not only Prague. Um and I also produce some smaller film shoots or commercial shoots, video shoots as well. So I'm I'm a lot in the in the area of producing and making things happen. Mm. Uh, production managing, production coordinating. And uh, most of it happens in the area of music because that's uh, where I've always strived. I was uh, a musician. I always was a musician myself. I I started learning the piano in third grade, uh, so I've played the piano for more than twenty years. I, I sing a little bit. I, I made a record once, which if someone's very curious, you're gonna have to Google it because I'm not letting you know where it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you can find it. Um, and then, then uh, so I did a lot of music myself. I played with another band as well, and so I was very interested in that area always. Something is that something that came from your mom, the arti- artist? Um, possibly yes. Well, she was an actress. Uh, she was never a musician, but uh, you know, as anything, it, it comes by coincidence. When we moved into the to a new flat in Prague, we were met with a piano, a grand piano that stayed there from the previous owners, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I w- apparently I was immediately attracted by the piano, and I, as a small kid, I used to just go and play around and play some nonsense tunes. And my mother would see that I seemed quite fascinated by the instrument, and and she would arrange for me to go to piano lessons, uh-huh. which was probably one of the best things that could have met me in my life. So it is, um, I, I probably take from my mother artistically, but also it's her, it's it's it's. Um, she it's put she put some fuel on the fire. She could see yes, something yes, there, yeah. you know. Yes. So that was yeah. So that that brought me to music, and fast forward a couple of years to my adulthood, uh, I, I got a, my, one of my first full time jobs. I got was at the Hard Rock Cafe in Prague, mm-hmm. where I ended up working for six years. Um, my job was to do tours around the building and talk about these guitars and about the history of rock and roll. Oh, that's cool! And uh, it, it was it was great, and it was a wonderful place to work for. And we did a music festival in London and all sorts of stuff. And uh, but after a certain time, I decided to go freelancing. After six years in hard rock, I thought, you know, that's enough of a full time job. I, I'm gonna go be free now. And uh, I started uh, producing events. Uh, well, I already was before, but so I used my newly, uh, newly acquired free time to work in more events and more festivals and and go much more into that. And I was lucky enough to have enough work um, that I'm still freelancing till this day. Okay. Uh, the, one thing about all the guitars and that stuff, and is it all real in hard rock? Yes, it's all real. this stuff is real. Well, yeah, it is. It's all real. Um, there's a whole department in hard rock that their work is just acquiring, acquiring this stuff and and caring about it. They go to auctions and they and they buy these guitars, and most of them were really played by the artist, and if not played, they were at least signed by them, you know, by their own hands. Uh-huh. So uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating the stuff. That's sometimes. really cool. <laughs> it's really cool. Um, 
And what kind of, I mean, like you, you it's music events mainly, but you, you're doing something for the Philharmonic? And, yes, and yeah. Um, for the last, uh, actually, this was an opportunity that came to me during the pandemic because, mm. of course, all live uh, live business, live music events were stopped. However, the, the Czech Philharmonic uh, was already at the time... The Czech Philharmonic, sorry, yeah. <laughs> I just still, uh, couldn't find the word now. The Czech Philharmonic was already producing this this concept of s- the studio, a, a studio they built inside. They have a new audio studio and a new live editing studio, and they decided to make broadcasts from the empty hall for people to watch at home during uh-huh. the Philharmonic. So I was invited to take over after someone who was leaving as a broadcast producer and a stage manager for the broadcasts. Um, and we produced a couple of broadcasts during the pandemic, so that, that kept me sane. And they decided to continue the concept even after the pandemic. So mm-hmm. right now we're preparing the season opening broadcast, uh, which we will have people back in the Philharmonic audience, but we'll also be uh, also be shooting it and transmitting it live. And it goes; to, it, it's broadcast to Germany, and I mean it's not just for a local audience, right? Yes, one of the one of the broadcasts uh, from the season opening is for Czech television, and the other one goes to Takt Eins, which is a German and European platform uh, video on demand, uh-huh. where they do a lot of classical music content. But you're not only done classical music. You've also been in, in you know, rock. I, I, the, the, I saw a list of, of musicians that you worked for or, or worked around here. I mean, yes, mostly, what are some of the yeah, biggest yeah. ones? Just to yeah, mostly it was actually rock and roll and popular music. Um, and I worked for a couple of music festivals. I worked for Metronome Festival in Prague. Uh, I worked for Rock for People. I worked for Mladi Ladi Jazz um, and a couple of other music festivals in and out. Metronome was Metallica, right? They have been there. Or no, no, no. Metallica was uh, there was something else. That was Aerodrome. Aha, uh-huh. yeah, Aerodrome. that's Aerodrome. Yeah, yeah. Sounds a bit similar. Yeah. And uh, I also do Zhishkovskanots, which is an urban uh, urban festival. Uh, so, thanks to these opportunities, uh, I was able to work with with uh, names like Sting, mm. Iggy Pop, The Chemical Brothers, Massive Attack, Tom O'Dell, Corey Henry, a lot of names, and. Um, any 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 starstruck moment? Any moment where you you know you were peeing next to Iggy Pop and like, hey, how are you? Well, I think you kind of with a job you learn you learn not to be starstruck because you do find out you know they're they're normal people just mm. like any of us. Mm. And because most of my work happens backstage, because we work a lot of you know we produce the non technical part of the event. So you know we're backstage, riders, transports, mm. hotels, making the artists feel like home. It's the hospitality part, the guest service mm. part of it. And so you realize, you know, these people, they travel the world and the only thing, they, they just want to feel like home. They want to have a bit of, you know, just relaxing and they don't want any of that noise that they usually have around them. You know, they want mm. to come into the, they, they go to the next festival, they have no idea where they are, they don't know what day it is, they have no idea what's happening. And, you know, they're happy to have their favorite drink in the dressing room, mm-hmm. you know. And so you learn not to kind of not show that they are the stars. Yeah, allow them to be yeah. human for a moment. So, I mean, of course, it's, you're always a bit nervous when you're about to meet someone new, especially a big name. Who 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 made you the most nervous? Oh, that's what was the moment for you in this? That's a difficult question. Um I think I was quite nervous with Iggy Pop because it was one of the first years of Metronome Festival mm. and it was new for me as well and he was a big name as well. Um, I was quite actually, I guess I was close to being starstruck when I met Tom O'Dell because he's a piano player mm. and I like his music very much and um, 
he he actually left. I remember saying goodbye to him, and he said, "Thank you, Oliver. You're you're a great guy," and that made me very happy. <laughs> yeah. You know, cause, um, but I think I I tend not to be too starstruck, you know, no. because it's 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 the world. The world is different behind the stage, you mm -hmm. know, and and um, yeah, as I said, you know, these people they need to feel like, you know, they're in the living room somewhere and not being bothered much. So mm. we, we tend to those needs. Yeah, I remember I had a moment when I I, uh, I, I know Bruce Dickinson, the singer from Iron Maiden, and um, um, we we have mutual friends, let's say, and then uh, they had a concert in Copenhagen and and, uh, and he called me on my phone and said, hi, hi Almar, I'm, uh, we're playing in Copenhagen today. You want to come by with some friends? And... and, mm. and uh, and I, I had a friend of mine from Iceland in Copenhagen. He was a fan of Iron Maiden. Of course, yeah, we'll go. And you know, then we, we came there. And he said, "Just come backstage." And and we went to the back entrance of the dorm and just said, "No, no, 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 you're not going in here." You know. And so we called Bruce Dickinson, who came and picked us in the dorm. And just fuck, fuck, you know. <laughs> and that was for me what you were saying about creating this atmosphere. You know, we came in there thinking like you know there would just be cocaine and heroin and strippers and you know all the works. You know. <laughs> and this is not, I mean, this is maybe 15 years ago or something like that. So they were all sober, they were drinking tea, they were doing breathing exercises. And I was, it was such a turn off, you know, because we came into this room, you know, like, and, and there was a herbal tea and there were some grapes and fruits. And I was like, what the fuck, you know? And then I told them, I said to the band, guys, I reserved the table in a strip club. And they said, no, we're not going anywhere, you know? And of course, we got wasted, me and my friend, and and then, yeah, after the concert, we would still try. I was still trying to get the band to come with us somewhere, you know, and they they didn't want to go. And then I, of course, I realized, you know, they were just they just wanted to sleep because they had a gig the day after or the day after, you know. It's it's just you know. Mm. Well, there's I think there's a certain yeah you're right there's there's always this this fascination mm. about going backstage, going to mm. the dressing rooms. And of course, that's the fascination that partially uh, attracted me to the job. And yeah. It would attract anyone, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, but of course, you discover that it's quite different, as you said, you know, it's uh, yeah. grapes and breathing exercises is not very heavy metal, is it? No. But uh, actually, you know, that's the world backstage. You think it's going to be that, but they're all just staring in their phones and just trying to have yeah, a bit yeah. of a nap, you know? Yeah. And... Uh, and it's sometimes just the smallest things you think, you know, because it's very mentally demanding to, to tour, right? Mm -hmm. I haven't done tours myself, but from what I talk with tour managers, it's, it's a very difficult job because, you know, you're constantly on the move. Uh, you, you're constantly unaware of where you actually are. Mm. And uh, Oh, we have someone here. We have a visitor. <laughs> Yeah, we had a we had a visitor here. The um, our, our cleaning lady came in um, to return <laughs> a, a vacuum cleaner. She's re really interesting. She's she's Russian, speaks no English, and uh, I don't speak Russian, and I don't I, I don't really speak Czech. But when she talked to me, she she just raises her voice, <laughs> thinking that I <laughs> will understand a little bit better if she screams at me. But uh, a great woman. So what are you saying? Is that you know when people are on tour, it's the, it's a very challenging environment for them yes it is and and so sometimes you know there's it there's this uh, fascination of riders you know when bands have riders and everyone wants to know oh what's the what's the requirements do they yeah. have like crazy crazy expensive champagne or you know sometimes they just want a, a silly candy bar yeah but that candy bar is the one thing you look forward to and this is what my boss who i work for with these festivals told me it's this is 
his, from his mouth. He said, sometimes that one little piece of chocolate is what you're looking forward to in that dressing room mm. and keeps you sane for another day, you know? Yeah. And that's why they have these requirements, you mm. know, because they, they need to keep themselves somehow going in a certain state of mind and, you know, because you're going to go out there, you're going you're gonna to stand in front of 50,000 people and you're going to give everything and you give everything mm. every night, uh, you know? And you're surrounded by the same people the whole time on the tour, you know, you're sleeping in, you know, if some people sleep on a bus, you know, it's a, it's not a luxury all the time. It's hard yeah. work. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. So, so you know, I mean, there are some bands that still drink a lot and do a lot of drugs. But, you know, mm. from my experience, uh, it's been less and less. You know, the bands don't really... Um, there's not that many bands going to this party life anymore because, as I said, you know, they, they're trying to be professional and they're trying to keep themselves going through that tour. So, mm. it really... It, it's um, it's not like in the movies that much. No, no. I found out with Iron Maiden. Um <laughs> But you, one of the things that you produce also is the, is the so-called Velvet Festival. The Freedom Festival, yeah. Fre- yeah, which celebrates the Velvet Revolution, right? That's right, yes. Ah, okay, it's Google Translate that's fucking with me because they called it the Velvet <laughs> Festival. So, uh, so it's called the Freedom Festival. Yes, and it celebrates the anniversary of the Velvet Revolution. Okay, and, and for, because, you know, a lot of my listeners are not from here and they don't know what is the Re- Velvet Revolution. Mm. Well, so tell me a little bit. Well, the Velvet Revolution was was basically the the uprising against communism. Mm. So this was in 1989. Um, And towards the end of 1989, in the fall, there was an uprising. There was a civil uprising when people had enough of communism. And and this is connected with one other thing, which is the, the International Student Day, which is 17th of November. So it was a history of, uh, of, um, of a, there's a history of another student protest day in the history. So on the 17th of November, it was the March of the Students, which were reminding themselves of the International Student Day and also protesting against the regime. And they were met, they were met with an aggressive lineup of policemen stopping them on the National Boulevard and beating up some of them, mm. which, which created an even bigger uprising and evolved into an enormous protest on the 20th of, uh, 20th of November on Venceslav Square, which would lead to the fall of the communist regime. and, and, and There were like 200,000 people oh, yeah, there or something yes, the, the on the 20th, right? Yes, yes. There, and there was also a protest on, on the Letna Hill. Mm-hmm. Even more, they say there was like a million people there. Um, so these all these protests in all these days around November in 1989 eventually led to the fall of communism and, and all the communist politicians giving over mm. power. But it was, a, it was I mean, <clears throat> there was... Uh, people were not killed. I mean, like... Uh, Yes, that's why it's called the Velvet Revolution because velvet should signify uh, softness or, or, or yes, smooth. Yes. No, no, no. You know, no blood, no aggression, no mm. death. Mm. It was a soft transfer of power. Mm. It was a transfer of power that came upon thanks to a certain mental pressure from the society and from the people. You know, Czech, Czech people tend to be very complacent for a long, long time, but when they come together to change something. It really happens, and mm-hmm. they can move mountains, you know. And I think Velvet Revolution was a good example of how strong the Czech society can be, even though sometimes for someone from the outside, they, they look like they're very closed in, and they don't look like a very extroverted type of uh, mentality. But it comes, it comes. When you have enough, you have enough. And that was that was Velvet Revolution, you know. After, mm-hmm. after 40 years of a totalitarian regime and unfreedom and closed inside this little landlocked country, you become depressed and you need to change. So that was the Velvet Revolution. That was the big getting rid of the communists in 1989. And it's, mm. uh, it was 
been 30 years since, you know, you know. But they often say about the Czechs, they bend, they don't break. You can you can mm. bend them, you don't can't break them. And and I mean, like if you look at the history here, there has been a lot of oppression on on this nation, but by the Germans and by the Austro-Hungarians and then by the Roman Empire. I mean, mm. there's yes. always been someone trying trying to somehow break this nation, but never really managed. Yeah, it's it's a constantly occupied country, isn't the Germans, mm. the Soviets, and as you said, the Austro-Hungarian. So I mean, there's a long history of that, of course, mm. and I, I guess that has. You know that has bent the mentality. You know, and some of it is not bendable backwards anymore. It's going to stuck. It's stuck to us in a way. Mm -hmm. The history of oppression. So we learn to adapt and overcome these situations. I guess, and that's uh, that's what makes the Czech mentality unique in a way. Mm -hmm. And if you compare the Czech mentality to other Eastern European blocs, it is different. Uh, it's very different. I mean, I've I've been lucky enough to work in you know Romania, all the Baltics, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Georgia, and it's it's very different here and but i also feel that the nation has a much stronger identity of i don't know values or or togetherness somehow there there is something that ties this better together here than than what i feel elsewhere i i don't know exactly how or mm, what mm. and i also felt that um people here are much more loyal to their country than in some of the other countries, because people in, in some of these other countries are doing everything they can to leave. Mm. You, you know what I mean? Whereas I feel that a Czech person doesn't necessarily want to leave the Czech Republic. They're happy to go, stay away for some time, study or work or whatever, and travel and all that, but but home is always going to be here somehow. They come back, yeah. yeah. I think, well, they wanted to leave during communism, but that's yeah. gone. You know, everyone yeah. wanted to emigrate. But uh, I think what you're saying is very true. The people tend to come back. Mm. There's a lot of uh, successful business people who leave Czech Republic. They work in, I don't know, US, UK, wherever. But actually, you know, when they're 50, they come back. Yeah. Something, you know, magnetizes and yeah. brings them back here. So I think the 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 era of escaping is, is gone. Mm. That stopped with the Velvet Revolution mm. and opening up the borders. And, and this is, of course, in the same time frame as as the fall of the whole regime in, throughout Europe. You know? mm. um, uh, so the so yeah the, the history of escaping is gone and now mm. it's time to be back mm. I don't see Czech people as nationalistic and nationalist or too mm. like strongly nationalist or chauvinistic or anything mm. you know we, we make fun of ourselves and Czech people are aware, well aware of their flaws and you know ups mm. and downs uh, but I think it's nice to hear from someone from the outside mm. that they see Czechs as caring for their country because sometimes we don't think that about ourselves or if I can call myself Czech, I mean, I've been here for some time. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there is a lot of lot of things that that I can feel that people are a little bit like I don't know, they kind of gave up on, or they're ashamed of. I don't know whether it's politics. It's, it's usually around politics or cheating, some sort of a some shady business, whether it's political or private business. But apart from those things, then I think yeah, there there are some fundamentals here that I think that people appreciate, but. Little bit about so, so every year this festival is is celebrating, um, and I I read an interview with you where you were you were saying that it was an important thing to remind the younger generation and to keep the memory of of this alive somehow. Yes, to, I think is yeah. it to remind them how bad it was during communism, or 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 is it to remind them how much we can do when we all pull in one direction, and, or both? Or I think well, I personally think. It is essential to to know your history. 
and to remember what happened in order for it not to repeat, right? This is one of these famous quotes you can read everywhere. Um, now we uh, we'll attribute it to you. No, okay, no. okay, good. <laughs> I'll take loyalties from that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's 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 important to know your history and the context of your history mm. in order to be able to prevent it from repeating. Mm. And uh, the the concert itself we do on Venceslav Square is called the Concert for Future, mm -hmm. part of the Freedom Festival. So we look out to the future and we we talk about what's ahead of us and we we look have a look at this outlook. But to me, the future is always burdened by the past because we we carry our burden with us you know we carry our history we carry the good and the bad with us and we have to talk about this and i think uh, the gener the younger generation needs to remember that uh, anywhere and at any time because the generations carry on this burden and they have to carry on history as well in order in order to prevent it from repeating mm. i think it's as simple as that really mm. you know and we tend to forget. I mean, we do tend to forget. You know, there's a lot of people who forgot about how bad communism actually was. And you feel that? I mean, is that something that you see, or is it tangible somehow, or visible? I don't know in 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 the media or something. I or think it's a, it's a, it's just a general human way of being. That's mm. what humans are like anywhere in the world. You know, they mm. forget. You know, you you tend to phase out the negative memories, and you only remember the positive. And you know, we battle daily in Czech Republic with all the generations, sometimes saying, "Oh, you know what? It wasn't that bad." Mm. And I say it was bad. These, mm. This regime killed thousands of people. They ruined millions of lives. And they, they've made that much damage to this country that even 31 years later, we haven't completely um, rehabilita rehabilitated ourselves. Mm. So, mm. so it was bad. And you know, if, if we don't remind ourselves of all the crimes they did against humanity, uh, if we don't remind us, we may end up electing them again. And it's, it's that easy. It's just a paper and a ballot and you can have this regime back. Mm. Right. Yeah, I, 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 um, actually, that that's the that's kind of the lasting effect of this is that, and which was also for me coming here as a guest to this country, um, I felt very much like uh, when I came here twelve years ago that I almost, and it's still like that. It's just the people are just a little bit older, but there were two nations in this country. There was there was the nations that were people my age that had most of their youth and education and the start of their career during communism and then people younger that that they were affected by it but they had still managed somehow to change the mindset so i think yeah it kind of lives in in a certain thought process you know i think sometimes people are not brave enough and sometimes they are afraid to speak up and you you know I had people working for me that whispered always when they spoke to me, and I was like, "Why, why the fuck are you whispering?" You know, I, I, and <laughs> and that was some sort of a authority respect. Do you know what I mean? Like that, mm. you're my boss. I shouldn't be loud around you. I shouldn't, you know. And people always wanted to call me Mister Hilmarsson, which mm. for me is just I'm fucking Almar. Just call me Almar. Yeah, there's there's certain traditions or or you know what to call this. Well, mental traditions mm. we, we carry on mm. um, but they are they are getting less and less right they're getting less and less of course the the the, the younger the generation the more globalized the ways we live of course mm. so i mean what czech republic has gone through as a country in the last 30 years is immense it was mm. an, a, a incredibly quick regeneration after communism a huge economical growth and this this also brings globalization you know so the, the young generations now they base their 
behavior not on the Czech tradition. Yeah, they travel and they see things. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Mm. Traveling is, a, that's good that you say this. I think, you know, traveling around the world is the most valuable kind of education you can ever have. Mm. Because going around the world and seeing how other cultures function, how other people behave to each other, how stuff is done elsewhere, that shows you context. Mm. And knowing context, the context of what you exist in, what you live in, is I think that is... Uh, incredibly important mm. for you to be able to kind of adjust yourself to this world this peculiar world we live in mm -hmm. but so 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 the, the 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 purpose of the event is kind of to to remember this and and to you know show gratitude for the the hard work the previous generations did um but um, if i look around now i mean not necessarily here i i you know, because I don't speak the language strangely after 12 years of being here, but um, um, I feel like there is a very much of a left-leaning tendency amongst younger people today, like, um, and in some places it's called socialism or, you know, towards socialism, which is the, you know, the foundation that communism is, is, is then built on. Is this something that you think is happening here or... or, or I think I think it is, but I think it's difficult to define this as left leaning. Mm. I think I think the labels of left and right are becoming outdated, and uh, also it's difficult to define the left and right in a country that has been burdened by communism for so long. So when we look at what we think left is here in Czech Republic, left is communism, socialism, mm. and everything else is right. Mm. And we've only recently discovered in in the previous years that we can have a kind of a centrist approach as well, and. Uh, I think, you know, the, the young generation does lean somewhere that the older generation would define as left. But I think this is not, not what the younger generation would call it. They're just, they are leaning towards liberalism. They're, leaving, they're leaning towards a progressive and inclusive kind of world. Mm. Of course, this connects to some sort of issue of correctness and hyper-correctness around the world, which is mm. a long discussion, of course. But... Um, I wouldn't necessarily necessarily agree with saying it's a left leaning. I think, you mm. know, <laughs> it's it's difficult, you know, especially in this country, you know, because, you know, someone else would say that uh, everything after communism was right leaning and now we're just centering ourselves again, you know, we're yeah, we're, we're finding kind of some balance yeah, because actually that back, yeah, yeah, because that's also par partially what happened here is that we actually went kind of ultra right in a way. And it's interesting I I read it somewhere but why why did corruption and 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 all this, uh, how do you say, wild west happen in those countries? Well, because they basically went overnight from a capitalistic system, no, uh, sorry, communist system to a capitalist system without having the infrastructure, the institutions, the legislation, the court system, the political system. They, they didn't have anything, so it was very much grab what you can. And that created then a very kind of a capitalistic-driven society. And I remember when I came here 12 years ago, then you had either rich people or poor people. And now, we, now we're now we getting to have a middle class. I mean, there were some middle class, but it was very small. But now that, that middle class is much bigger. And um, so I guess, yeah, as you're saying, we're maybe well, what's happening is that things are balancing out, you know, uh, somewhere closer to the middle than, than you know. And uh, But the... the um, what I've always been surprised about here is how, and yeah, because of this distrust and mistrust to politicians, is the interest in politics. 
and let's say, and I know that you were working on now some um, video to and some messages to encourage people to vote, young people to vote. Yes, yes, we're making a series of videos for the Freedom Festival, uh, which are encouraging young people to to go vote because mm. the attendance, the vote attendance, is is traditionally quite low in Czech Republic. I don't know the percentage, but it's definitely not enough. Yeah, I saw I saw somewhere like 30, 40%. It's some ridiculously low yeah, numbers. It depends. Yeah. It depends. Like the Senate, the Senate vote is always terrible. That's like 20% or something. Mm -hmm. And the parliamentary votes, it's a bit better. That's definitely more than 50%. Mm -hmm. It's still not enough. And, and sometimes the, the reason why we have trouble in Czech Republic changing that political structure is because not enough young people go to vote. Mm. And... The people deciding the elections are, are, are older people who are just, you know, voting the same party every four years just out of pure comfort, you know. Mm. And we need a new generation to, to look critically at what's happening mm. and reflect that somehow. Because mm. I'm not saying that someone who's 90 years old cannot decide probably who to vote. Of course they can. It's just a democracy. Everyone has to vote. Mm. But we're voting on the future of this country as well. So kids who are 18 need to realize that you know going to vote is pitching in towards what their future is going to look like mm. and that's important so and also when you look at the situation today um and now i'm i'm speaking now personally not for the mm. freedom festival because the freedom festival is, is uh, doesn't incline to any part of the political spectrum it's it's not apolitical but it's non it's, yeah, it's non-partisan yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but me personally i see a big issue now that you know uh the, the two democratic coalitions who are standing in opposition to the current government party, you know, they need to get 101 seats in, in the parliament in order to get rid of this old structure. Mm. And the polls are kind of just around 100, 101 seats maybe. And if we have just 50,000 more young people go to vote, we'll comfortably get over that barricade and we'll have 101, 102, 103 seats and we can start change. Mm. It's, it's, it's not a big country. It's 11 million people. I don't know how many eligible to vote from that, but it's not many people. So, mm. you know... Mm. Any shift can be can be a major shift at the end of the day. But I think, but I think part of the the I mean, I think there are multiple reasons why young people don't want to vote. I mean, they 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 they. I mean, it's it's a, it's a silly process in a way. You need to kind of go somewhere, and you know, you need to prove your identity. I mean, I can understand why it is there because you know, otherwise people could manipulate it, and it could be easily yeah, you could end up with something some catastrophe, but. It's just not what young people are used to do. They're used to do everything either through a computer or a phone or, and well, not even on a phone anymore, just writing something on a screen or filling in a form. And then we're telling them that they should go somewhere to some school to cast their vote on a piece of paper. I think it's very alien to a lot of them. And I also think that that somehow maybe we are now having a, a lot of the youngest voters are unfortunately in a position where maybe um, their parents have taken very good care of them. So they're not necessarily thinking about what kind of future do I need because they are very content in the now. Mm, I, yeah. I, I don't know if I'm, I'm saying that people are spoiled, basically. It's, well, that's, that's one of the characteristics of this this 21st century of course people are spoiled a lot of people have lived lives uh, their entire lives in complete freedom mm. and have not uh, been subject to any 
you know, communism or totalitarian mm. regime. You know, there's been, you know, in history, there's been people who lived through two world wars. Mm. I was born into a democratic country, Australia. I moved to a democratic country of Czech Republic in 97, and I never had to face any kind of political prosecution. I never had to stand up and fight. I didn't, I didn't have to do my civic duty for the army anymore because they canceled that in the 90s, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so the, we, live a, we live a life that is so comfortable compared to before. Mm. But should we burn, burden ourselves with this thought? Is it our fault that we're living a comfortable life? It's just the course of history. It changes, you know, and we as and and this is all an ongoing discussion in all parts of society. Can we actually, can we can we can we look at today with the optic of yesterday? Can we look at yesterday of the optic of today? You mm -hmm. know, it's like taking down uh, Confederate statues in the USA. You mm -hmm. know, and taking them now, taking them down because now and today we don't agree with those principles. But when those statues were put up, they were put up in a different time. Mm. And, we, and we're go, this all goes back to context. Mm. You know, we've got to understand the context in when these statues were built. Um, we've got to understand the context in which generations lived and how that affects them. So, so yes, I would say maybe I am part of a spoiled generation, mm. but is it necessarily a negative thing? I don't know. We just we have to learn learn to live with that and overcome that different differently than generations before would. You know. Yeah, I I think you know I I obviously I think yeah throughout history of of humanity we've always the next generation always has a better life than the previous one and and that's just the nature of it you know that's development that's progress. My my, my chief concern is that like because now we we <clears throat> we live in a country here me and you where. The president is an alcoholic mm. um, who has very controversial views. I mean, these are views, but they're controversial to a large part of the. Of You're the saying population. that very nicely, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and we have a prime minister that is uh, often in the news for the wrong reasons. He's a huge businessman. He has probably made more money on COVID than anybody else in in this mm. country. Absolutely, and yeah. uh, uh, and he's, you know, he's accused of of, of um, corruption and 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 you know taking money that didn't belong to him from or he didn't serve the European Union st stuff like that. So I mean, mm. but someone voted them. Yes, yes. And uh, and there are, I mean, obviously there are also like with the, uh, take the prime minister because the president is more like um how do you say like um. He's more like a decoration on the democracy than than actually having a role. I mean, he has a, a veto power, but mm, um, mm. but if you look at the prime minister, I mean, he has done or well during his tenure, let's say, as a prime minister and his government, then things have certainly not got worse economically. There has been growth, um, and uh, you know, and people are relatively happy here. Um, and someone is voting him based on something, you know, whether they get more money for having kids or whether they get a little bit higher salary or whether the pension goes up by 2% per year or whatever. But these are actually the issues that maybe, I don't know, a voter that is 45 years and older cares about. And then we would have a voter under 40 or something that that is thinking about very different things, you know, other topics and, and, and so on. Um, so you can't really... If you don't show up and, and, and vote, you know, you can't really criticize because you're basically giving the power away to somebody else. That's right. Yeah, you, you, you can't criticize. Uh, but, you know, maybe they, the spoiled generation doesn't want to vote, but then something bad will happen and it'll be too late to, exactly. to fix it. So, exactly. I mean, 
it's part of the duty to educate and remind people. Mm. We're back where we started, the circle, right? Mm. We have to remember what happened. And that reminds us of why it's important to mm. vote mm. and uh, keep our democracy and, you know, feed that democracy. Um, and if, if we stop reminding ourselves and start being too comfortable, it can come any day. Mm. I mean, in 1948, when, when communism came to Czech Republic, it was like nothing. It was, yeah, it was, it was after normal, the Second yeah. World War. And, and it, was, it was actually voted. I mean, the Communist Party was voted in here yeah, yeah. at that time. Of course, because, you know, somebody came and they said, oh, the Nazis were here, we're going to be against the Nazis. And of course, probably any of us would probably vote the Communist yeah. Party in 1948 yeah. because we all hated the Nazis and they killed fucking 20 million people here. Mm. So... It happens that easily, mm. right? And but back then we didn't know who the communists are. Now we do, yeah. and this is part of you know, this is this is what's great about human beings. We learn, we adapt, mm. we overcome. Mm. But talking about communists, I mean, like, and that, that because you know, like, the velvet, velvet, velvet name on the revolution here is because uh, it was a soft transfer of power. Has that been a problem actually? Because if you think about it, often the most drastic changes came when it was a bloody transfer of power. And I, and I often, was often thinking about it because a lot of the people who were involved before during communism, whether it was in the system somewhere or politically or, 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 or in businesses, and so, they continued to be involved. And they are still around. Some of them are still... There are still guys in the parliament that were members of the Communist Party back in the days, well, right? The, pri the prime minister was. Yeah. He was in the communist secret police and he was in the communist party. So we imagine just, the connections, this old boys network that is there, you know, like imagine those connections. Oh yeah, it's everywhere. It's still heavily ingrown into the system. Mm. The communists and the and the and the ex-secret policemen who were like, you know, Best spying bodies, on yeah. you and giving information. Prime Minister was one of them, you know. And you know, it's uh it's it's troubling, but it, it will change. It just takes time. Yeah, it yeah. just takes time, you know. Patient is our middle name. Yes. <laughs> um, I wanna, yeah, I wanted to kind of a little bit take a different direction. So you're gay. Yes. When did you know that you were gay? Well, I guess it comes naturally. Um, I don't recall the specific moment, mm. but I guess uh, it wasn't. It, I wouldn't say ever since, but I would say probably the time when you start evolving into puberty. Mm. That's the time when you start thinking and, and reacting to certain things. Yeah. So and and how how and you know how long did that last or how how long was it before you kind of came out well i'm i guess i'm a bit of a specific kind of uh, story because i never had an actual coming out moment mm. it was a natural course of things you know and i never had family or anywhere i never had any opposition to that you know it's an, I, I come from an artistic family so mm. obviously no problem there and uh, uh, my friends and people around me in prague were always i always always within liberal circles very liberal you know i i, I lived a lot in the music industry uh, as a, as a kid i was a lot in the film industry i was a child actor before actually and so i've okay, always so there's a there's that you have done films and music and then now you're here I should have brought you on for that, you know. <laughs> yeah, so so I was always uh, surrounded by people in an environment that didn't see this as a as a much of a talking point, mm -hmm. too much, mm -hmm. really. And also, I I'm not the type of person to talk about it too often, unless somebody's interested. Somebody asks, sure. Mm -hmm. um, 
but you know, I'm I'm not I'm not like a I'm not a big gay rights activist or someone who's like extremely vocal about the subject. Mm. But uh, when it came to the discussion or came to the question, I would say, yeah, that's right, I am, and uh, nobody would sense to be too surprised or or uh, or aggressive towards that piece mm. of information. So no negative experiences in in that sense. No, no negative experience. And uh, and this this is when you're here in in Prague, right? Yes, I mean, th- yes. This is in your, your after you come here and. Uh, do you think it would have been any different in Australia or would it have been more complicated or, or I don't think so. Australia is a very liberal liberal place, especially mm. when it comes to this subject, you know. Mm. Sydney has these huge Mardi Gras parades, pride parades. It's always been a, a very liberal subject there. Of, of course, I mean every country has their liberal and conservative parts. Mm. But for example, Sydney as a city, I, I don't think it would be any problem whatsoever. It was it's a very it's a very mm. open mentality. It's very liberal here in, 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 in this sense. I mean, like I, I and it, and that's one of the interesting thing about the Czech Republic is that in, on one hand it's extremely conservative and and embraces very much like I don't know, family values and you know, like you have to visit your parents twice a month and you know, like and, and, and you spend together a whole Saturday in the kitchen drinking beer, even if you hate each other, you still do it, you know? <laughs> yes. And uh, um and on the other hand, it's very liberal when it comes to you know gay or or or, or you know whatever smoking weed, um, drinking in public. I mean, there's no like it's 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 very. I I don't know. It's almost like indifferent. Yeah. Well, there's a there's this phenomenon that I like to talk about when people ask me about Czech mentality. There's a phenomenon of not giving a shit or not mm. caring, mm. Um, because. And a great example is, you know, when you on the streets of Prague, probably nobody's going to care about two men or two ladies kissing. Mm. They they don't care. They'll just walk past. Probably they won't even look at you. They don't care. But this also applies to somebody having a heart attack on the street on the ground. Probably yeah. a lot of people will pass not not caring and not giving a shit about them. And right? you just so, die. <laughs> yeah, you just you die. Of course. I mean, I'm I'm being a bit harsh because the society is evolving. You know, it's different than today than it was. 20 years ago, mm. but uh, there is a certain thing about Czech people not caring, not mm. not reflecting on what's around them too much, mm. and that's how they are. So it has a plus and a minus. There's a light side and a dark side to everything. Mm. So it's it's a very liberal place. I can probably go drunk, piss on a police car, nothing's going to happen to me. But, you know, uh, when you need help, it may not be that easy. Mm. Um, I'm thinking about like if we talk about you know let's say gay matters in a in a wider perspective and and um, I wanted to have a chance to talk to you about it because I know that we can have a conversation where I can be the devil's advocate without being yeah that's right an asshole <laughs> or not too much of an asshole let's say um, but I I'm often curious about this the identity like if if my primary identity is is based on my my preferences, whether you know whether I'm attracted to men or women, and then I don't know sexual preferences in 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 that sense, does it somehow I don't know does it limit people from being something else? You know, like can it? Um, because I've never I've never really thought about myself as a heterosexual man. You know, do you, do you know what I mean? When I wake up in the morning, I don't yeah. think okay, I'm heterosexual. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, this is this is something you know the this identity concept. I think 
if I ima- if someone asks me, you know, what my opinions on this this whole subject, I think I would say that the ideal world for me is where we probably wouldn't even have this conversation. Mm-hmm. The ideal world is where we don't have the word gay, we don't have the word lesbian. Yeah, exactly. It's just human. Yeah. Right? Of course, I do understand this is a difficult thing to overcome for society, which has been, which which had rules prescripted for hundreds and hundreds of years that were all heterosexual. Based, yeah, based on that, yeah. Uh, so it's difficult. And we must understand this is a difficult thing to go through for anyone and to understand these new concepts and learn to live with them. Luckily, most of the globe, not the entire globe, but most of the earth mm. is learning how to live with this, starting from probably more evolved countries and other countries follow. Um, so we'll see, maybe maybe in 200 years, uh, the word gay will be crossed out of the dictionary, but not as in a negative, but as in a positive, you know. Mm-hmm. We don't have to label it that much. And 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 people will learn that as well, you know. And I, myself, you know, because people wouldn't think I'm gay when they look at me, or mm-hmm. when they listen to how I talk or whatever, because of course, people are used to the idea of this flamboyant gay person, which I'm not, and uh, they would be surprised sometimes, you know? Mm. And then they will realize, oh, actually, I I didn't know, and uh, now I realize that changes nothing about who you are. I just found out a new piece of information. So sometimes this catalyzing change can work just easy like that, you know? They get mm. to know someone, then they realize he's gay, and they realize that actually the way they were looking at him before should be the same as you'll look at him after. But mm-hmm. it's it's about a personal experience quite often. There's a lot of people in the world that had troubles understanding or or understanding the concept of homosexuality. But when they did have a like a personal experience of befriending somebody who's gay, for example, or getting to know someone gay better, that is usually the most effective way of changing somebody's mind on this subject. Mm. You know? When you experience yourself, that's when you realize, you know, a gay man's not going to come to your house and burn down your traditional family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just let him live. They'll let you live as well. Mm. But uh, do you think, like, I, I don't know, do you have any personal experience that has been negative in this sense? I mean, has it... Because I... I don't know. Like, we we, we, we are talking very much... Or globally, we're talking diversity and with acceptance and tolerance and, and inclusive... What do you call it? Inclusiveness. In- inclusiveness. Um and and I am always because you know obviously I just have to take the 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 compass is me how I think I cannot think how somebody else thinks and for me it's I don't really care what people like whether they eat potatoes or not or whether they like girls or guys or whether, you know it's not it's not my business it's my business when somebody is trying to force me to do something that I don't want to do then mm-hmm. then I have a problem but um, do you think that I mean, uh, is this problem? If we look, let, let's take away like maybe the Muslim world and 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 parts of Africa and and and, and maybe Russia. Mm. But uh, if we take if we take let's say the kind of Europe and and the U.S., is there actually a real issue of excluding gay people from being parts of the society? I think it's uh, we're halfway down the road. Mm-hmm. We're getting there. You know, there's there's certain things that uh, I think still need to change. For example, looking at Czech Republic, we're facing a challenge with marriage equality. Mm-hmm. Marriage equality hasn't been voted through. Czech Republic only has an institution called uh, registered partnerships. Uh-huh. Registered partnerships were voted through not too long ago. I think 2005. 
And this is supposed to substitute marriage, but it doesn't have the same rules and doesn't have the same advantages and same kind of you know, legal legal standing and yeah, and, uh-huh. as marriage does. You know, mm-hmm. there's certain differences. A gay couple cannot adopt together. Um, they don't they don't have this like joint property rules of what happens in marriage and how we're going to sort out your property if you get divorced. You uh-huh. know, and and they you know if if your inheritance partner, and inheritance yeah. if your partner dies, you know all this. The, some things are not adjusted at all. No rules, or maybe excluded, and sometimes discriminating. And and it's not it's not just about the legal factor. What what marriage equality can bring to a society is educating a society further on and changing the perception uh, for all generations. And I think a, a great example, you know, Holland was one of the first countries to have uh, legalized same sex marriage, mm. and you know, and and the, and the Nordic countries as well. They all see an evolution of where. After legalizing that, the society would eventually learn to understand and be more accepting. Mm. And also suicide rates go down in the LGBTQ community. Um, so, you know, legalizing same-sex marriage seems like a piece of paper or just, you know, seems like something something just of a legal form, but it has consequences, it has widespread positive consequences proven in many countries through research that they can bring. Mm. However, we're facing some old structures. We're facing a religious issue, of course. The religious parties will, will not accept this. Um, the conservative parties probably not. But uh, I think, you know, in, in the next election period, which because we have an election coming up, so in the next four years, we have a big chance of, of legalizing same-sex marriage because it does seem that most of the political parties are not giving any direction on how to vote. Mm-hmm. On this part, so the, each politician himself will yeah, decide kept how to by vote. his own conscious. Yeah. yeah. So this gives us a chance, um, and surprisingly, believe it or not, uh, people like the Communist Party uh, will most probably support same-sex marriage because actually, um, I mean, I'm not a fan of the socialists. Uh, I hate communists to the to the bone. But uh, surprising, one of the things uh, is that they're quite positive towards this attitude, you know, mm. because they're socialists. You they, know, de- so they decriminalized the... Uh, yes, uh, I did this research sex, uh, on, right? on the history of gay sex or gay gay rights in, in Czech Republic and Czechoslovakia, and it was actually during the communist regime, I think in 1968, 58 or 68, that the communists uh, the decriminalized same-sex intercourse. Mm. And it was based on a scientific research, actually. You know, the communist based something on a scientific research, and it was the same-sex intercourse. Uh, so that's surprising. <coughs> that's but crazy, of, actually. Yeah, but I don't want to idealize it. Of course, of course, um, gay people were prosecuted and being mm. behaved aggressively towards during the communist regime. You know, so the reality was quite different. But uh, um, but the point being, I, I think we're facing uh, a challenge. But if we can, if we can make it, if we can vote this through, I think we could see change. Mm. Czech Republic is one of those countries where change takes more time than somewhere else. Uh, Decision making is slower than someone else. You know, uh, sometimes I admire Nordic countries for their decision making and how policy making is swift and decisive. Here, it, it, subjects like this take time, mm. and it's also because we're a very populist. Uh, well, the, the politics here are very populist, mm. so they're very afraid to be vocal with certain ideas or certain, you know. Yeah, they don't want to be too radical. Yes, they don't want to be too radical, especially before the election. Yeah. So that so that's one of the reasons why the vote didn't happen before the election because nobody really wanted to, you know, lose votes because Czech mentality is conservative still. So a lot of people will see this as a problem, mm. and they, a lot of people wouldn't vote for a party that would. Uh, that would approve of same-sex marriage, for example. Mm. 
but I hope it's not. I hope it's not the main thing here. You know, we had this issue a couple of days ago where the um, the Christian party leader said that he cannot have a he cannot have a coalition with somebody who supports same sex marriage, and and suddenly same sex marriage became this subject on where the whole democratic future of the country was hanging on, mm-hmm. and we're like, come on, like is this is there nothing more important in mm-hmm. in politics and in leading a country than what I'm doing in my bed? And you're going to sacrifice the democratic future of a country because of this? You know, and these are the challenges we need to overcome. I think it comes through education. And I I think it comes through personal experiences. Mm. Getting to know people who are gay or getting to know people who are trans. Mm. Getting to know them and finding out that there's there's nothing, you know, there's nothing about it, you know. Mm. But do you you think that, like, talking about this, because, you know, like, yeah, it's education and it's it's kind of... uh, Seeing the, the the things, a new, I don't know how do you say new new, new way of living um, in front of you and and getting to know people personally and and so on. But but then I'm thinking, okay, then it take kind of takes me back to let's say, gay pride is then the biggest event that that um, that the community has to kind of keep its voice or voice its voice, let's say, and. Uh, And then if I think about it, I mean, I, I love gay pride. I love watching the parade and it's it's super fun and everybody is happy and, and, and it, it's fun to watch. But if I would make myself three levels more conservative and I would see gay pride, I would just think, why are they showing their ass? Or why why does somebody need to show their titties? Or why do these people need to be dressed in leather? Why does it have to be sexual? Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there's a big part of the gay community that's not comfortable with, with how... The pride parades look like. Mm. However, um, I can be, of course, I can be uncomfortable with that. And actually, to be honest, I am a bit uncomfortable. Sometimes it's a bit too graphic for me. Mm. Um, but what is more important, even more important, than that feeling that I have. What is more important is the feeling for uh, the freedom of expression. Mm. You know, anyone can go and organize a parade in the city and do whatever they want as long yeah. as <laughs> okay maybe they you know shouldn't be having sex in the streets which luckily yeah. is not happening and you shouldn't be shooting people mm. but otherwise you know you could do kind of whatever you want mm. we decided we want to make a freedom festival on Wenzel Square and we, we make a concert you know and you're going to do whatever they want mm. you know but um, I mean sure I mean for me it is a bit too graphic but you know mm. it's, it's their right I'm just thinking if it actually maybe even turns Some people that are kind of on the fence, if it might turn them the wrong, you know what I mean? It might yes, drop yes, them the yeah, wrong way, yeah. you know? That's that's actually a good point, yeah. As I talked before, you know, some people may have been turned on to the side mm. by, for example, meeting me and discovering me that I'm a quite, you know, normal guy, not too flamboyant. And some people could be turned off the side by seeing this. That's mm. very true, I guess. Uh, and I think that's uh, that's like a joint responsibility of us as a subculture Uh, to work on that and, and it requires discussion it requires talking about this stuff um, but as I said the sense of personal freedom and freedom of expression is much stronger mm. and I guess that's why nobody in the community is ever going to protest too loudly about this but we're all we're all have a we have our opinions you know and um, I don't think there's any way we can affect this anyway it's an evolution you know yeah, um, yeah it just takes time and yeah and, you know. my opinion is that it is a bit too exhibitionistic I mm. guess mm. Um, I went to the Pride a couple of times. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was fun. And we all had our little world. And, you know, mm. okay, the, the naked butt guys were up front. I was with my friends at the back, you know. Yeah, yeah. Live and let live, you know. Mm. 
I'm thinking because, as you said, I mean, obviously, it's uh, everybody has the right to 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 set up an event and to promote whatever they stand for and what what lifestyle they. Just made me think if some a lot of people come to my middle-aged heterosexual white male <laughs> parade, you know, to, you can try it. Yeah, and that kind of leads me to a, a, a thing that I'm, I'm I'm thinking like we we uh, we are like if, if I take um, let's say if, if we take me as an example, yeah, a middle-aged white heterosexual man. Um, not maybe the most popular species on earth at the moment. <laughs> Not in 2021. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, but we have feelings too. No. <laughs> <laughs> Should be happy you're not ginger. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could be worse. Okay. But, uh, um, no, but I'm thinking like, so what, what we are being told through me too, for example, and, and, and w- there's a lot of talk about toxic masculinity. There is a lot of talk about like, uh, sexual harassment and, and I and I, I I feel that a lot of um, the let's say the basic animal instincts that a, a white middle-aged man can have, which are you know to be attracted to a woman or heterosexual white middle-aged man, mm-hmm. attracted to a woman, um, and you know wants to talk to her and wants to find out if you know are we gonna make something happen. And and I f- I feel like th- this is the, the the let's say the 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 line there that is that keeps you in the good books is has become more and more and more narrow and almost to a point where we are kind of denying that you know a man can be attracted to a woman and he can be attracted to her sexually but he might also see her as a human you know it, it doesn't necessarily see her only as a sexual being you know he actually can also see her as a human at the same time um and then on the other end we have as you 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 said it earlier, subcultures. Let's I don't know I don't know even like that word. But let, you know we have these groups of people who are out there, and it's it's very sexualized somehow. It's it's very much mm. driven by sexual things. It's not like because for me it's it doesn't even have to be like that. If you want to love men, just love men. I don't really care about like she said what you do in in then in the bedroom or wherever. You know it, it's none of my business. And I'm I'm just it's such a polar opposite. I feel like, and I'm not crying here on behalf of white middle-aged heterosexual men. I'm not. I'm not. But I feel that there is a certain group of people where we're saying ignore your instincts, ignore your urges. But then there is a, another group that is actually very much supported by the same people that tone me down. They tone up people who are very sexually yeah, yeah, I defined. Think it's. it's um it's this challenge of this hypercorrect world. Hypercorrectness is an issue we're facing. Um, <clears throat> I come from a, as we said, a subculture that's very, you know, uh, li- we have to be liberal because you know we're gay. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean, for me personally, I don't necessarily fully support the hypercorrectness of today's world. Of course, I would support the principles of the Me Too movement. But how far do we go? You know, there's certain there's certain things that are natural to the human species, but we we're not. We're not, you know, we're not pigs and dogs. We're intelligent. We're human beings. Mm-hmm. We're Homo sapiens sapiens, and so we we learn to navigate intelligently with what to do with our urges, 
and you know how to behave. So of course we, we need to trust ourselves that you know we're, we're not gonna strip a woman on the street and you know rape her in between the tramway. You know, but we're gonna you know, we're intelligent. We speak. We find out what she's like. You know, if mm -hmm. she seems to like me or not. You know, unfortunately there are some people who don't understand these social social boundaries. But of course you know we have to learn to live that as well, and we have to talk about what's wrong and what's right. But do we have to go so far as into making a man uncomfortable for just looking at a lady in some certain way? Mm. I mean, it's it's difficult. It's difficult to navigate this. There is a history of oppression, of sexist oppression, for example, and there is a history of you know injustice in work terms and unequal opportunities, and dates back to unequal opportunities. Women couldn't vote in many countries in history, um, so. This is based on something true and real, and we, we do have to talk about this, but um, I think we should be more natural about the things we do. You know, I'm, Political correctness and hyper-correctness is maybe going too far. Mm. But do you think, I mean, is that, do you see that here in the Czech Republic, or is this more like on, a, in the, on the global? Um, Czech people are more liberal and less politically correct, uh, correct mm. you know and that's what i like about this country mm. i'm not a politically politically correct person either you know mm. um and uh, you know sometimes it's nice to feel this kind of laid back laid back kind of environment where you don't have to stress too much about what you're saying and of course i live in artistic bubble of course and what i do well, i work in culture so that's also a different type of people mm. i don't work in a corporation yeah, yeah i mean it would be different you know. if you were in a factory or a coal mine yes exactly but you know it's nice to be in an environment where it, where things are not taken so seriously mm. for some people it can be challenging but then we, we must trust ourselves as intelligent species to navigate through this we don't need rules that say yes or no one or zero you know mm. you don't it's not that simple to say you can't touch women Mm. What does that mean? Mm. It's like, okay, maybe next time we can't shake hands because it's inappropriate. We don't do rules like this. We sense, intelligent, we are intelligent people. We sense what we can do in a situation or not. Of course, there's people who were born with super low intelligence and they have to have special, you know, yeah, but they have always of. been there, you know, they, and yeah. we somehow as a society, we managed to deal with that. Yeah, there's ways of dealing with that, exactly. Uh, but I do understand that all these movements of the hypercritics is a reaction to the state of things that have been. Mm. Um, so our, any action needs a reaction. I guess that's natural. But let's just stay Let's stay human, you know? Let's not limit out. Because we're going to limit ourselves to an extent where, as you said, that, that line keeping you in the good books is so narrow and becoming more and more narrow. We'll have nowhere else to step soon. Mm. And do mm. we stop walking? Mm. Probably not. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but this hyper-correctness, I mean... Um, and political correctness, it's it's uh, it reaches out to a lot of things. I mean, you see businesses, global businesses, um, taking those matters, let's say, um, gay rights uh, or I don't know some social responsibility matters, and they 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 really present themselves as angels. And those same companies then hire five-year-olds in China and, and work them to death in a factory. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. you know, we don't see that because it's in China. And then we then we complain about China polluting the world, but we actually mm. put all the production there. But yeah. is this real? I mean, do you think that a 60-year-old white heterosexual CEO of an American company is honest in this? Or is this just a show-off? I think it's more of a show-off. You know, I think it's, it's, it's a certain requirement put on companies by the society and by evolution. Mm. Um, 
But, but even, it's, it's so fake then, because if you say, we put this on the company, but and they respond with something that isn't genuine somehow. Yeah, it isn't know? genuine, but it's like with anything in corporations, they need to do things in order to keep a face. It's, it's, a, it's a PR stunt, basically. Mm. But it, everything has two sides, you know. The society puts these requirements on companies to do all this, you know, uh, diversity management. However, someone needs to catalyze change. Someone needs to lead for others to follow. So learning to um, learning to be a more tolerant society never just came by itself. Somebody had to bring up this subject and somebody had to be very assertive and aggressive about this subject. Mm. And it's the same with racial segregation. Somebody had to be vocal. Somebody had to start talking more and be aggressive to the point to stop this. So having this, this diversity management, as we can call it, in, in corporations and big companies may be a show-off. It, it may be something that's been put on as a requirement and something that's a PR thing, but it brings fruit. It does bring some results that are positive, I mm. think. Because mm. at the end of the day, who's it going to hurt? You know, if we, we try and make a more inclusive environment, we try to, you know, give a reaching hand towards people who were who were just different than others and maybe have been mistreated because of that. It's always nice to have a safe workspace. However, circling back to the ideal world I talked about, the ideal world where we're, where we're not having this conversation, <laughs> this should stop at some point. Mm -hmm. Now yeah, yeah, that it has a it has an end game or yeah, end point. It's a long, long far away, of mm. course, and 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 in some countries it hasn't even started. As you said, we left out some of the you know Muslim countries and African countries mm. where there's still you know uh, gay intercourse is punishable by stoning to death. You know, mm -hmm. this is this is a a long and difficult change that has to come from from below. But uh, uh, I don't know. In 500 years, when we finally come to a point where it's so normal to be different, mm. we will not need this diversity yeah, We won't even have the word different yeah. anymore. We probably won't it. need the Prague Pride. Mm. We won't need a, a heterosexual white male day organized by you. <laughs> we won't need any of these because mm. it, we, sh we, we would ideally be used to the fact that people are different. Mm. I know there's skeptics, you know, when, when, when there's a discussion about uh, marriage equality in the Czech parliament, some, some of the conservative politicians said, oh, so what's next? Are you gonna have sex with children next? Like oh come on, you know. Once again, mm. we are an intelligent species. We learn to, you know, we learn to adapt and overcome, and we learn our context. And we're not idiots, you know. Just the society. Maybe maybe the trends tend to make us idiots. We're simplifying stuff, you know. Mm. And um, we could lengthily discuss if if society is becoming uh, more stupid or not <laughs> by the day. Mm. But we're still intelligent. I, I still maybe I'm naive, but I, I trust us as people to to navigate through all this intelligently. I think, uh, talking about, I mean, I think that it's, and that's actually an interesting angle, is that I think it's very difficult to be against diversity somehow. You know, like it's, um, and, well, okay, that's uh, came out wrong, actually, because as you're saying, we need those kind of pioneers. We need those front runners. We need someone pushing the, the the boundaries. We need, and we need that in everything. We need that in both directions. We need, you know, someone conservative, and then we need someone very progressive, and then we need to find some line in the middle where you know most people are kind of happy with what path is chosen. 
And, uh, you know, you can see this, I, we, I, you know, one, one of the biggest things for feminist movement in Iceland was a very radical all-female, only female party in 78, 85 or something. They had just three women or something sitting in the parliament. But those three women said the same fucking stuff all over again until the other parties, the big ones, said, guys, we got to put this female stuff on the agenda because if we don't, these girls are going to get more votes. So they, they're influence was far greater than their their voting reflected so but on the other hand like what i feel now in this hyper correctness is that if if someone is there saying okay um i don't know like uh, i don't know even what to say i mean like just let's say that in every company there has to be at least 10 gay people working if anybody would say listen are we sure that those 10 people are the most qualified employees? The quotas. Then yeah. he is gay-phobic or homophobic. Well, that's, you see, that's troubling, you see, because I'm, I'm, I don't agree with the quotas. And it, there's a problem in the film industry, for example. There's, there's some directors who, as part of the contract for directing a film, is that at least 50% or 60% or 70% of the crew have to be black mm -hmm. or some ethnicity or whatever. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, I think I, I can't necessarily agree with that because I don't care. I, if I was a director, I think I don't give a shit if my crew is purple or yellow or black or white. I want my crew to be the most qualified and I want mm -hmm. my crew to be the best crew in the world, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it, it's it's difficult for me to agree with the quotas, but I can agree with the quotas as a as an ad interim kind of thing, you know, for the meantime. Mm -hmm. For now, use the quotas to get people used to different approach to things, because of course, in, in some ways, you know, racial segregation is something that should have never existed, but it's still so deeply enrooted in some people's minds mm. that it needs to be pushed out. So we can start off maybe with some quotas, we can start off with the all-female party, but uh, it's not, it's something that has an end game, as you said. I think, you know, we need a first aggressive push, and then we need to kind of normalize and stabilize in a way. Mm. It's all about, First big steps and then kind of you know making it smooth again, mm. if that's understandable. Yeah, I think I, uh, yeah for sure. And I think also, I mean, you can look at these quotas in a way that we need to encourage those people that feel marginalized to to come and be part of it. You know, because um, okay, maybe we'll find out that not ten gay people want to be actually working in this company. But if we don't tell them that they're welcome and that we make sure that there is space for them if they're qualified and blah blah blah, then they might never, you know, embark on the journey of trying. So, so you know, it's a it's a push and pull thing. But but on the other hand, what what I have a problem with is that whenever somebody asks if if I if I just if I just say, well, why should someone be chosen over me based on sexual preference or or orientation? I don't like calling this a sexual preference because it's not about sex. Mm. It's a, I don't know, based on attraction yeah, to yeah, whom yeah. he or she is attracted to. Well, it's not I don't right. want to be called automatically then that I'm homophobic or 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 and, and this is yeah, where yeah, I feel that is, it's yeah. super like you, it's difficult you, to navigate. That yeah, and, and you can't you ask a question without being accused of being against someone. Yeah, and you, you shouldn't have to be in a position where you're afraid to ask those questions or be critical about that because, mm -hmm. you know, it, it doesn't make sense. You know, it, we shouldn't, we, we should always, you know, we can't 
I don't know how to call this. You know, it's just I think it's okay not to agree with that because quotas and things are should be designed to catalyze change, but shouldn't become something normal. Mm. You know, we should not need quotas to invite diversity and inclusiveness. It should be something natural within mm-hmm. us. You know, but of course, for this to be natural, it needs to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah. it's like you know, I, I I talked about racial segregation. Rosa Parks, she needed to stand up for herself and in that bus well actually not yeah, stand she up sat, sat down <laughs> she for herself sat down yeah. and she needed to say no yeah. she just said no yeah and and it's interesting i just i'm reading a book by susan cain called quiet mm. it's about the power of introverts yeah in the world i read that, that book stop, it's, it's, gr- it's a great book she starts talking about rosa parks yeah. she was a very timid small very woman, silent yeah. small woman yeah but it was her who stood up and said no and started a movement. And the movement tended to be aggressive at some times. Black mm. Panthers, you know, mm. extremely aggressive. Black Panthers, some called them even a terrorist group. But it was part of a history of an involvement where people had to stand up aggressively for themselves. Mm. And I guess, you know, quotas or something is, is, a, is a way of aggressively standing up for something, mm. you know, like an iron fist of dealing with things. But that has an end game, you know. It always has to pass, you know. Once, you, once you made your point and you changed something, you should, you know, continue. Uh, Try to let it be natural. Let it be natural, mm. you know. Let it. It needs to. That's that's inclusiveness, you know. Invite inclusive, inclusing into the society, making the society aware of this, uh, and so aware of it that it's not aware of it anymore. You know? mm. It's just part of the society. But this is, of course, utopia to a certain yeah, yeah. extent, you know. Yeah, but that's what. Um, we're all striving towards an utopia. I mean, everything is an utopia in the end. You know, we're trying to create a society without death, without accidents, without rapes, without, you know, like it's, we're always trying to eliminate everything that has a negative effect on us. You know, it's just in our nature, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, um, but I, I was, uh, I was reading, um, it's just curious, I, I was, um, reading about a restaurant the other day on on Google and 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 I saw on the listing that it said that uh, that it's um, LGBTQ friendly and it kind of made me think is are there some places that are unfriendly to to the community probably probably they are uh-huh I don't go there <laughs> but, no, but uh, would you I mean um, d- 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 is this I mean and it made me think do we actually need to say this you know are we are we there where we actually yeah. I mean like would is there anyone standing at the door at some place saying, are you gay? Yeah, okay, go out. <laughs> or is it because yeah. they don't want people to kiss there? Or, or Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, we we should evolve to a point where we don't need that label, right? Mm. And I think we're maybe we're evolving towards that. This particular case of, you know, restaurants or establishments being friendly, not friendly to gay, I think we're almost past that, or at least when we talk about mm. the... Evolved, yeah, and you don't feel this yeah. here, I mean... Do, no. Are no. there any places where you would go to where you would want wouldn't want to go with your boyfriend? No, not really, no. no. But also you adjust you adjust your behavior. This yeah, is, and you belong to yeah. a group of people that, yeah. you know, oh we like this place, or we go there and I mean Yeah, I think this is this is maybe something that uh is um something that a heterosexual person probably would, would know or wouldn't wouldn't realize that, you know, as as a as a, in a gay couple sometimes, you know, you you have to adjust your behavior sometimes. And if sometimes how, un- how? sometimes you just you're in an environment and you sense that oh maybe it's not the best idea to kiss here or you know hold hands and we'll just kiss later. Sometimes you just feel that. Sometimes it's not that I haven't gone through any harsh harsh uh, you know 
experience experience here but you know sometimes you know you're like <laughs> if if you meet the skinheads coming from the football match you know you're probably not gonna go french kissing in front of them right so you adapt and then you're always on a lookout you know you always have this sense of looking out what's around you just in case mm. that's that's a burden that comes with, with that but uh but then i don't want it to be a sob story i don't think it's something that i should you know i'm not looking for pity Right. This is this is the natural part of things, and it will change, and it is changing. You know, and we, mm. we, nothing changes from from day one to day two. Mm. Change is gradual. You know, and uh, many subjects uh, that that are dear and important to today's young generation have this kind of radical sense of trying to change something overnight. Yeah, it's not possible. We we can't just go out and say, okay, from tomorrow we're going to have renewable energy everywhere. Mm. It doesn't work that way. Mm. If I do that and it's raining tomorrow and there's no sun, I I, I can't I, I don't know I can't cook my food or something yeah. I don't know yeah. So you know we go gradually. We think about you know all different types of energy. You're going half half and eventually maybe in 50 years we'll have 90% renewable energy maybe. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And it's the same with 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 catalyzing changes in terms of diversity. Mm. It's like eventually society needs to learn or doesn't need to but we want the society to learn how to you know live in this diverse world but someone who's lived in a little village for his entire life will not learn to understand what gayness is in a matter of a day he needs to experience and uh, and learn about mm. that you know and we can't place that burden on people around us to automatically be super tolerant automatically be super inclusive yeah i mean i come from a very kind of homogenic society you know in the middle of fucking nowhere where nobody even wanted to come and and uh, and i remember like uh when i was like 12 i was working in this uh tire garage you know where we changed tires of summer to winter and, and repair tires of, of cars and and i had this part-time job there and there, there was a black guy working there from um he was from jamaica or Barbados, and uh, in iceland yeah and he, he was a part-time <laughs> dance teacher and then he worked in the and it was it was really interesting because and I could see the difference. You know, I was twelve. He immediately became my best friend because they they the the older guys gave us all the shittiest cars. You know, we had to change the tires on the Lata and the Skoda because those <laughs> they, those cars had still the tubes in them, so it was a oh, nightmare yeah. to fix. And they and and but there was a obvious racism going on there, like without any abuse. It wasn't abusive, but it was it was just clear who was at the bottom of the the food chain there. But mm. to me, it wasn't because, you know, like I just saw this guy. I mean, I had never met a black person in my life before that. I mean, maybe in Spain or something when we were traveling, but I had never really been. And obviously, I mean, it, <laughs> yeah, it, because I was so young and, and like next time I met a black person, it was just, okay, it was another. And, and then you, as you're saying, you know, you can't take someone from a village and just expose them to something and ex and expect them to, see it for i don't know the most normal thing in the world on day two it it just takes a little time and it took time for this guy in in the in the garage to kind of work himself into the group and everybody was a little bit skeptic and eventually over time it was fine you know but i could feel it in the beginning that okay he's different we we need to treat it differently and it was the same when we got like we got a lot of people from yugoslavia to iceland in 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 yeah 80, 80, 80 yeah 90s 90s Stuff, oh, until the 2000s it was the same there they was met with a lot of skepticism in the beginning but it you know then eventually it, it just 
I don't know. Maybe I need to create this white middle-aged heterosexual <laughs> men group. That, no? no, maybe no. But it's right, and the, this the same principle applies in in the intergenerational dial- mm. dialogue. You know, mm. we can't accept an old. Well, we can't expect. Sorry, we can't expect an older generation to automatically understand the principles of the newer generation. Mm. It needs to be a dialogue. Yeah, talk, and they never you know. did. I mean, I remember when the Beatles came. I I don't remember because I'm that oh, old. Wow, you're old. But no, but I remember <laughs> reading about that. You know, like. Um, my my mom's parents just didn't understand this. I mean, why are these guys growing their hair? Why are the girls screaming? And it was abnormal. It was weird. Then it was the tool of the devil. It was like, I mean, when uh, fucking Ozzy Osbourne came out and, and accidentally ate the head of a pigeon, then they thought it was the Antichrist. You know, like we've, we've had all these, yeah, where the older generation just points at the young ones and what the fuck is wrong with those people, you know? And it goes on like that and yeah. on and on and on. It's going to go on forever like that. Yeah. And that's, Part of life. I mean, we have to keep our hearts open and try to be understanding to everything around us, you know. Yeah. If you picked one thing um, that you would want to see here in, in the Czech Republic that would change for the for the community, would that be the, the same-sex marriage? That's a tricky, Is that that's like a tricky the, question. Yeah. That's a tricky question. I think... Uh, it wouldn't be same-sex marriage because I think if I could pick one thing, it would be something more above yeah, these above issues. Above legal issues, yeah. It's uh, I would pick something inside the heads, the minds and the hearts of people here. I think I think Czech Republic and the people in Czech Republic are fantastic. Mm. Wonderful people, very open, very warm. But sometimes we, we as Czech people need to learn more about the concept of this of this uh, responsibility of all of us together, you know, mm-hmm. and not pointing at everyone else and taking responsibility for our actions, taking accountability and, you know, learning learning how to respect people around us, but also learning how to, you know, how to... Uh, okay, I'm, I'm drifting away into a very la-la land right now. Maybe it's not specific enough, but I think I would like to pick a certain shift of mentality slight mm-hmm. which i cannot define uh, yeah. but i think there's something there's a certain x factor that we're missing that would help change so many other things mm-hmm. if that makes sense mm-hmm. so i think for example you know marriage equality and approving marriage equality should be a result of how mentality and minds have changed yeah, not, the forced, not the forced not the forced yeah so if I if I could pick something, I would I would I would like to just make li- uh, tiny little tweaks mm. to the mentality, but not much. There's not much I would change because I don't want it to make it. I don't want it to sound like uh, I don't like Czech people. I'm one of them, mm. <laughs> uh, and I think we're a lovely nation uh, and yeah. we're a lovely fun bunch of people in this very funny country in the middle of Europe. Mm. And uh, there really isn't much that I would change. Just little mm. things. And a general kind of uh, overview of uh, a general kind of um, I don't know. Just cut that openness <laughs> somehow. Yeah, more openness maybe. Mm. I don't know, but maybe maybe I'm not talk. Maybe this is a entire human race thing. Maybe this maybe this isn't about. Yeah, but the, yeah, but it, it's this is what affects you. This is where you live. You know, so yeah. like you know yeah. you you. Uh, that's where 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 you would usually start. You start in your own garden before you go to somebody else's garden. Yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess the entire human race has that issue. You know, we need to mm. know. We should know better about what's right and wrong. We should know better about how we affect 
the world around us. Mm. We should know better about the context we live in. You know, no. I think I, for me it's a, it's such a, and I, I'm a little bit afraid that we're losing some of the. The, the 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 tolerance because of this hyper correctness political correctness that in in a sense that we are we're actually radicalizing people by trying to silence their opinions and and I I, I think I think it's dangerous because I, I I don't think often I often think that that people that we perceive as being against something are maybe not really against something they're actually just pissed off because they feel marginalized, you know, that, yeah, yeah, that's, you know, that, that's true. that that's their happening. opinions don't matter anymore, or I'm out of date, I'm too old, or I'm too white, or I'm too this or that, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's, it's always, as I said, it's a dialogue, and a mm. dialogue is a dialogue because it has two sides. Yeah. And each side needs to listen to each other. Mm. And, and, and as I was talking about, you know, Susan Cain and her book about introversion and extroversion, it's so often about us as people being loud and talking all the time, but not listening enough, mm. you know? And I think this concept that she talks about or writes about is to me, one of the most important things that we should talk about in human race in 21st century. Mm. Are we a world that just keeps talking too loud and not listening? Or can we learn to listen to people around us much more? Mm. Can, we, can we learn to pinpoint the point where I stand and what stands around me? and be aware of what's around me. Mm-hmm. I think that's an issue we're facing. We're, we're loud, and you know, it's, yeah. look, look around us. Donald J. Trump, like, mm. what the fuck, man? Mm. He doesn't know anything, mm. but he's loud. Mm. Does that make him, what does that make him? Nothing, right? So we should listen to people, you know. Yeah, but we, I think we are the, we are, we are, I mean, um, <laughs> we have always gravitated towards the one that is loud. If if he has if the person, whoever that is, whether it's a man or a woman, or a non-binary person, then, well, we haven't had that yet. We don't have any transsexual leaders. Not that I know no. of. But we've always gravitated towards those who have a charm or an ability to convince. And it's a it's a really really charisma, you know, for better or worse of 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 how it's being used can get often the wrong people into some places, you know? And I think, I think that is, we've always, because we are a herd animal, you know, we want, we want to belong to a group of people. We want to, you know, and we want someone to lead that group somehow. And we, we often, yeah, but obviously the quality of listening and to analyze and make up your own mind can get lost in all this noise. Yeah. Yeah, and um, it's natural to look for leadership. Mm. And the the mentioned Rosa Parks, she wouldn't be able to lead the mass, mm. but she met Martin Luther King Jr. Mm. And together, he had the voice and she had the content. Mm. You know, she had something to say, but she needed an amplifier. Mm. That's what the world is like, of course. We t- mm. As you said, we always lean to the loud and to the visible. Mm. But uh, maybe this is what I wanted to say. If I could change something about people, maybe here or maybe the world, I would like them to listen more. Mm. I would like them to, to, to take in their surroundings more. And I think that itself has the, has the possibility 
to change everything mm. or a lot of things at least. Yeah. Because sometimes we're just selfish idiots, you know. Yeah. I wish that the the Russian cleaning woman who came here earlier would learn to listen because what she just <laughs> does to me is that she just speaks louder and louder until I until she believes that I I understand Russian, which I don't. <laughs> but uh, okay, Oliver, it's been great to have you. Well, well if 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 people want to know more about the uh, uh, Freedom Festival and and these kind of things, I will put links. I can put links of all this into the uh, episode description. Is there something that you're working on that you really want people to know about? Other than that, is there, is there some homepage or is there a is there Oliver.com changingtheworld.com Oliver? <laughs> uh, well, there's OliverMcGillick.net if you want to see my CV. I don't know if that's very interesting, but mm. uh, um, I'll put that in also. That could be great. I guess nothing specific, you know, oh. um, but. Uh, uh, I just hope people enjoyed. But people enjoyed can Google this. your old album. They can Google my old album. That's mm. true. They can listen to a, a very depressing uh, record with, I think it's eight songs <laughs> I made. I'm going to link uh, that to the episode description as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, nothing in specific. I just, I just hope this was a, a pleasant uh, little conversation. Yeah, it was uh, at least for me. It was for me definitely, yeah, and I hope for the listeners. Yeah, most important. Um, fuck the listeners. No. I <laughs> <laughs> I will edit this. No, don't, guys. I unfuck the listeners here. Um, if you're still listening and you're not angry at me for saying this horrible, what a stupid podcaster I can be. Anyway, uh, the show has a Facebook page, The Bunker, How the Hell Did We End Up Here? And the uh, Instagram page, The Bunker Prague. And then a YouTube page, The Bunker, How the Hell Did We End Up Here? Just still pictures of me while you listen to the audio great when you're at work and you pretend you're doing something just put youtube on on the background and you can listen in your headphones and everybody thinks you're doing something constructive and you're just listening to my bullshit um, that is good oliver are we good we're good thank you so much yeah, for the thanks for your time and have a nice evening bye bye